Hey, it's Reshma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the show about breaking away from the cult of perfection so we can live bolder and happier lives. Right now, I'm trying to get better about asking for help, and it's really hard, especially when there's this unspoken pressure to be superwomen and keep everything together. I have a little baby and a young son, and they need my attention. Sometimes I just don't feel like I should be asking for time for myself. It's not like I have anywhere to be right now anyway, right? But you know, I can be more present for them if I ask for that alone time I need. And it's brave to ask for the things we need, even if it's hard or we feel selfish or like it's a burden. We need to take care of ourselves, especially right now. And part of that is speaking up and asking for the things we need. Joining me to talk about asking for that help, among other things, is the fabulous Soledad O'Brien. She's an award-winning journalist, speaker, author, philanthropist, who anchors and produces the show, Matter of Fact, with Soledad O'Brien. She's also been a powerful voice speaking up in the media about the industry's ongoing reckoning with racism. The conversation you're about to hear is part of the Girls Who Code Summer Speaker Series, and I'm thrilled to share it with you now. Everybody, it is so great to be here uh, with my friend Soledad O'Brien. Uh, Soledad, it's an honor to have you. My pleasure. So many moons ago, I don't know if you remember, but you interviewed me when I was running for office, basically doing my my hustle. I don't know a lot of Reshmas, so I do remember that you were the <laughs> only one then and since. <laughs> but I've always looked up to you and always have admired your courage and your bravery and your truth telling. Uh, I feel lucky when I get like 10 minutes to chat with you because you constantly just spread wisdom. So I'm just grateful and I'm grateful we're working together on this fund to support entrepreneurs in, in Flint, Michigan. But we're honored to have you here today. Thank you. It's uh, my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. What a great opportunity to talk to some of your, your young women who are amazing. Thank you. And so there's 5,000 of us, uh, 5,000 young women uh, across the country who are participating in this Girls Who Code Summer program. And we are proud of them because this has been a trying time and a moment, right? And we were just talking about education where we have put so many roadblocks in front of our kids. And Girls Who Code is an opportunity for them to come and learn a skill set that's going to ensure, you know, their survival in the new economy. And so the speaker series is an opportunity from them to hear from inspirational people like you uh, and to get some wisdom. So let's get started. Something that we are, that's kind of our core value at Girls Who Code is sisterhood. And I love hearing about how you talk about how you've worked to create this supportive work environment where you rally your team members together during tough times, like the one we're in right now. So with that in mind, I wanted to start by asking you, what does sisterhood mean to you? You know, I think sisterhood for me is a lot about standing up for your friends and making sure that you're able to help prop people up in a difficult time. You know, one of the things when people talk about coronavirus, and I literally have some extremely annoying friends who are like, you know, I think I'm going to learn to become a concert pianist during this time because I'm home a lot. Or, you know, I'm starting to make three course meals and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to get through it. Like literally my goal is to just get through it. And so I think for a lot of us whose goals are very low and we just want to get through it, 
sometimes you need to prop certain people up and, and, and help them out and figure out what you can do to help them get kind of across the finish line of a day. And that to me has been, you know, just dealing with sometimes a very small circle of friends or sometimes our friends and then scholars, you know, what do you need? But I think when you're asking that question, the responsibility on the other end of that is to be very blunt about what you need. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging times. So people need to say, I'm actually not doing so well. Or, you know what, you know what I really need? I need two hours of X. Or is there a therapist online that I should be looking up because I'm losing my mind? Or whatever. I, I have found that I can be helpful to people when they will tell me very straightforwardly what they need and what I can help with. Uh, and so that's what I've tried to do in, in this trying time. But there have been lots of trying times, right? And especially for the young women that we help in our foundation, you know, they just have a lot of trying times. And so we try to make sure that, you know, step one, articulate what you need and do not be ashamed when people ask you to say, actually, thank you for asking. You know what I need? It's this. If someone can't help you, they usually can find someone who can help you. And I think, you know, not sitting on what your challenge is, is a very good strategy. Yeah. Having the bravery to ask for what you want, which is so hard, right? Because as women, we've been taught to like not rock the boat into people please and to make everybody else feel comfortable and to shrink ourselves. And so that's such a powerful and important thing to be able to, to, to say. And to they're asking, right? It's not like they're not, it's not like you're running up to random people being like, Hey, here's what I need. <laughs> you're, someone's asking you. So then you just need to say, Thank you for asking, actually, and lay it out. Yeah. So I want to talk to you. I um, I love the story that you tell about when your parents got married. And when your parents got married, interracial marriage was banned. But when the ACLU wanted to bring them into a Supreme Court case, they decided that just existing and living their lives was a form of protest. So many of our girls are the only ones in their computer science classes, right? And the only ones maybe in their families who've gone to college or gotten this internship. You know, what advice do you have about keeping up the motivation when even just your existence is part of the fight for equity? Well, I think right now we're really feeling it in coronavirus, right? Where like existing is just a little bit hard. And yes, my parents missed the chance for glory by deciding my dad was working on his PhD. And so he decided that he would in fact not take part in the ACLU's uh, lawsuit. Uh, the Supreme Court would eventually overturn the ban on interracial marriage in 1967. By the way, my parents had six kids by then, by that time. And I think he thought realistically that it would actually interfere with his studies. My parents were very pragmatic and practical people. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think the key in all of these things is to not get sucked into this happening over here and this happening over here and this happening over here. And sometimes that, that happening thing can be negative comments or snide comments or sarcastic comments, right? Somebody dragging your focus off of what you should be doing, which is your work. And if you're the only, put your head down and just get it done. Just get it done. And if you need help, go find someone who can help you. Go find a tutor, go find a volunteer who will help you. I'll tell you a great story. I used to work at WBZ TV in Boston. And in the morning meeting, which would start at 7 a.m., I did the show that aired before the Today Show. I was an associate producer. So I would run down the hall to try to make it to the 7 a.m. meeting. We, we ended at 7 a.m. At 7 .00 we did the handoff to the Today Show. So I'd go to the bathroom and I'd run to the meeting and 7.04, I'd sit in my chair. There was a guy in the meeting. His name was John. And every single time he'd say, oh, look who's on Colored People time. 
uh, because I was four minutes late. <laughs> and I was always four minutes late. And I was so upset and offended and mad. And I would go home and come up with like, when he says that, here's the snarky comeback I'm going to have. And if he does this, and I'm so mad. And then I left that job to go to NBC News. I've never seen him again. I literally never. I mean, usually you run into people again. I have never seen him again. And I look back and think, what a waste of my time. I can't believe I wasted all this energy on this guy who I'm so tempted to name, but I will not. <laughs> um, who would just do these little stupid, snide, upsetting comments. But why was I wasting energy on a human being I would never see again in my life? And I really try to tell young women as much as you're the only part of what's going to be distracting are the people who are going to make it clear that they don't think you deserve to be there. So you just really just tune them out and, and get through and, and make sure you're focused on your path so that you're not fighting little battles over here and going home and coming up with snarky comments so that you can, you know, retort, just put your head down, get your work done. Sometimes it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's hard though. Right. Because it's like the woulda, shoulda, couldas, right. I mean, I've had so many of those moments where I went, I wish I would say something. And part of, I think what we do is also just try to teach that everyday bravery of being able to speak your mind when you hear something like that. So you don't hold it. Um, Cause I think sometimes the holding it is what wastes time. But it's also exhausting. And actually I don't know that you have to hold it, but I do think you don't always have to give it back. There is mm. a lot of value in saying, well, I disagree. Anyway, moving on to page one of our report, right? Like, you know, like you, you learning that you don't have to take other people's stuff. You can just like, yeah. it doesn't have to land on you. It doesn't have to. It only will land on you if you let it land on you. And so I would say, if you feel like you need a snazzy comeback, but sometimes you actually don't even need to. You can just say, you should probably get out more and move on, right? Like literally nothing and move on because I look, it was so much time and energy wasted on someone I never saw again in my entire life. And so I think it's focus on the thing at hand and what you're trying to get to. And don't worry so much about like this. This will always be there. You got to learn how to focus. People focus. will always be there to take you down. So how do you deal with, so Twitter, you're my go-to follow person on Twitter because you don't give to F's, right? Like you're, you're like, say what is on your mind and you speak truth to power constantly. And, um, that takes a lot of bravery to do that. I mean, cause you're putting yourself out there for a thousand trolls to come back. Yeah, but you don't have to answer trolls. I mean, it really, I, honestly, I, and I appreciate that, but I don't feel like it's particularly brave. I, I feel like I try to, I try to always go to the heart of some, the truth of something. And so but And if someone's coming back at me with a thoughtful comment, then I will answer them back thoughtfully. But if they're not, they're, you know, I won't. And I like, you don't owe anybody anything. I don't have to answer anybody back. You, the muting and deleting is a really amazing opportunity to get rid of people. I've actually, and, and also not looking. The interesting thing about Twitter is if you just go to bed and wait 24 hours, that whole entire whatever it was has moved on to a new thing, right? So really, if there's ever a time where I'm like, I don't want to be in this dramatic conversation, I just step away and I just move on and I tweet pictures. You know, I, I guess I tend to think of it as a platform for me to post what I want to and and not necessarily engage with who I want to and not necessarily, again, there's no rule that you have to take what people are giving you and sending you. You just don't have to. So I really, most of that stuff doesn't stick to me as long as I feel like 
I'm trying to get to the truth of a thing. And that's, and, and, and on my audience, I early on, one thing I did intelligently, I never worried about, you know, how many likes or a thing like that. I don't care. It, you know, and so some things that I think are really fun have no likes and some things that I like random, I think, have, you know, it doesn't matter because it's my point of view on something. People are welcome to follow me or welcome not to. I'm completely cool with either one of those things. And I think when you think of it that way and you don't think of it like it has anything to do with the person you are, it's a little bit easier to deal with. Oh, I hope everyone's listening to this because I think that is so wise. Like that platform is for you, you know, right. for you to speak what you want to say or something that you're curious about um, and not about validation from others. I think that's such a powerful and important point. So I want to get to a question, Molly from New Jersey, what trait do you consider most important for someone our age? I think being able to bounce back is a great trait. I would say my best skill is I go in with a plan A and it's a good reporter skill. Here's my plan A. Uh Oh, None of that's working out. Okay, well, plan B is over here. Oh, that's not going to happen. Okay, plan B, C. And I just move on seamlessly. Like if stuff doesn't work out, I don't hold on and yearn for a thing that didn't happen. My mom used to give say give great advice. And she used to say, you know, take 24 hours if something goes wrong and cry and sit in bed and eat ice cream. And then hour 25, you're up making your list moving on. And I'm very good at that. And sometimes I do it even faster than 24 hours. If it's not going to happen, a thing you, you thought you were going to get the internship, internship got screwed up. Oh, so disappointing. Sad, sad, sad. Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's. And then, all right, let me make a list. Who should I be reaching out to about plan B? Who should I be reaching out to about the next thing to think about? Right? I mean, that's, it's so much more effective and efficient and useful. And so I think it's a combination of resilience but it's not even resilience. It's just the ability to like move on. What could be the next thing coming down the pike? And I, I'm a big list maker. So I tend to constantly take notes on like, oh, this is an interesting idea. This is an interesting concept. This is an interesting person. What could we do with that? I think your mom taught me to me that lesson too, because I always call it like my hack on failure is to give myself a finite amount of time to, I drink margaritas instead of ice cream, but same concept. <laughs> same difference really at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am from Chicago. How do you overcome fear? You don't, you don't at all. So here's a great analogy. I'm an equestrian and not a very good one. Uh, and what I've really learned having fallen off a lot and broken my leg and done some bad things is I would ride and try to go over jumps and I want to do it. I want to do it so badly, but I would literally go up to the jumping like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And you know what you realize? Okay. So the thing that makes you not fear less is, are you wearing appropriate clothing, like a good helmet? Are you on a horse that's reliable and solid, right? All the things around you can lessen fear. So if you're nervous about an interview, what I'm doing, you know, then I study. Like, what can I do to make, okay, well, if I know everything there is to know about this person, I'll still be fearful, but at least I'll be prepared and fearful. Um, if I know, if I'm trying to try something that I haven't tried before, okay, what can I do that brings me as much preparation as possible? So I don't think you ever get rid of fear, but you do get to the point of like, I'm on a horse that's not going to kill me. I think I know what I'm doing and I've got a pretty good helmet and I'm feeling pretty good about my skills, right? And that's the best you can do. And you start going over these, I found, I've started going over these jumps and I'm like, oh, I'm less fearful because it doesn't feel like, oh my God, I think I'm going to die. It feels like, okay, let me see if I can enact the things that I've learned. I think it's the same thing. Figure out what you need 
that will help you in whatever is the thing that's making you fearful. First day on the job, well, would it help to do the dry run? You know, uh, see where you're going to be. Um, know the neighborhood, right? Anytime I have a new job, I always drive it first and make sure that I know the ways to get there because I don't want to be late. Uh, turning in a paper. Okay, then get three people to agree to read it before you turn it in. So you feel like at least three smart people have read it. I don't feel like I'm putting myself fully out there. There are solutions to all those things that give you anxiety. The fear never goes away, but you can buffer that fear, I think. Mm. I do that before I public speak. I go into the room and I like touch the stage where I'm going to be on. And for some reason, I mean, I'm still always afraid when I talk, but it makes me less afraid. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. And you feel like I've been up here before. Okay. I'm not coming up here for the first time saying like, oh my God, these lights are so bright. You're, you know, and also frankly, in a speech, you can even tell people in the middle, you know what? These lights are bright. Can someone, what's your name? Will you dim the lights for you? Like, you know, I think people also root for you to do well. And so they don't mind being helpful. Um, and so I think when I think of things I'm afraid of, I often will have, um, you know, just like get help from people, get support from people. It's really not most times, 99 times out of 100, when you ask for help, someone will be like, yeah, sure, I can help you. Yeah. Jenny from New York, did you ever experience imposter syndrome? And how do you overcome it when people try to undermine you? Um, so those are two sort of different questions. Imposter syndrome, yeah, I think anytime you take it, every job you take, you, you shouldn't have done it before or you're really not stretching yourself. So yes, you literally have a title and you're like, wow, I have no idea what this means or how to do this job, but I am getting paid and it's my first day. I never felt that that was imposter syndrome. I felt like I'm a new employee and I'm here to learn. This is the job. So, so yes, clearly you're, you have a title that you don't deserve because you're starting a new job. Um, but I don't think that's really imposter syndrome. I think that's just being new at your job and you're there to learn. Um, I think when people try to undermine you, the, there are two steps. Number one is to realize that you're being undermined. So even just looking at people and saying like, oh, that guy, I got him. You don't have to do anything about it, but like, I, I see you. That's really mentally helpful. Oh, I, I see you. Every time I say a thing, that guy does that thing. Hmm. Okay. Good to know, number one. And then also, a lot of people, when they're undermining you, they do it because they're insecure and they're weak. And you scare the absolute crap out of them when you're nice to them. Not nice because you're afraid of them, but just nice because you can be, right? When you say to them, you know, you made a great point in that meeting. They don't know what to do with it because they're like, oh, I've been sending you hate vibes this whole day. And like now you are nice. to We might actually end up being friends because a lot of that stuff, I think, comes from insecurity and people being scared. Or sometimes you're even interpreting it wrong. If there's someone who's genuinely trying to undermine you, then you have to actually take steps to make sure that it doesn't happen. You talk to the person who's your supervisor or your superior. I mean, if it really gets bad. But I think most undermining is just people saying mean things and doing mean crappy things to you. And I've always, it's been amazing to me when I've tried to turn that person into an ally, like how quickly it turns around. And it's, it's simple. I mean, all of us work very well on flattery when you just say to them, wow, that was a great point. Such a good job. Right. And they're like, oh, I guess I should not undermine that person anymore. She seems to be nice to me. It's as simple as that, I think. I love that. I love that advice. And it's it's a little counterintuitive, right? It's almost like you're you're expecting the best out of people. You're bringing out the best out of everybody, right? Through your kindness and your compassion. Um, Casey from Virginia, 
what are some ways to network effectively? Oh gosh, step one, do not ask people to be your mentor ever. It's weird. It's creepy. It's like when a guy runs up to you and is like, hey, will you go out with me? (sighs) No, don't do that. It's weird, right? So, you know, the best way to network effectively is to go to networking events, to talk to people, and then to have one or two questions to ask. Can I ask you a question? So I'm wondering, uh, when people give you your business card, do do you hang on to the business card or is that something you don't want, right? Like grab information. People want to understand you and get to know you before they do anything more with you. Also, you can ask people for informational interviews. And I love when it's a very set time. I would love to have 15 minutes for a cup of coffee. This is, by the way, all advice that you can either now do on Zoom or you can do uh, when we're back meeting in person. When someone says to me, I know you're really busy. I need 15 minutes. I have five questions that I'd like to ask you. Can we meet from 12 to 12.15? in that cafeteria over there. You're like, yes, I can spare 15 minutes. And they're very didactic. They don't waste your time. And you walk away saying like, dang, that person's really smart. I really enjoyed meeting her. That was great. So that when she follows up in three months, hey, Soledad, uh, I don't know if you remember me. We had this meeting. You gave me some great advice. I want you to know I acted on it. And blah, blah, blah. Now, every three months, every four months, she's just dropping me a card. Doesn't require anything from me, right? But I just wanted you to know, hey, I wanted you to know that I got accepted to such and such. Hey, I applied for this program. I'm waiting to hear. Oh, looks like I've been able to get a summer job doing this every three or four months. Oh, good for her. Good for her. Right now, she she's keeping me in the loop with what's going on. Every so often, I'll get another, do you think we could meet for another 15 minutes? Right. And I look up and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm mentoring this woman. Or at least we have a networking kind of relationship versus coming out so strong when you don't really get to know somebody. Because that woman, in two years of all these little updates, she's going to say, there's a big job I want to go for. And I'm wondering, would you reach out to them? It seems like you know some of the people there. Could you reach out? And and I'm like, sure, I know that you did this and then you got this promotion. I know that you did this over the summer and this and this and you kept me apprised. And so for that two years, you've had a relationship versus kind of running up and trying to be like, yeah, I find I find that ladder a little bit much. Yeah. I think also it's like, I always tell people like, it's okay to be transactional in the, in the sense that you're like trying to use people's time efficiently. So it's okay to like, be like, tell me what you need. It's brutal as you know, right? When someone comes in, you're like, I'm trying to figure out what you want from me. Right. Right? So I would say clarity is great. And you can even do, you know, that, that what they always call the managerial sandwich, right? You start with, so I'd like to uh, ask you um, to recommend me for such and such, but I'm going to start this conversation, right? So now I've got that in my head. Then you walk back, you do the middle of your sandwich and you come back and you say, so that's all the reasons why I really would love to have you be one of the people signing on to this recommendation. Uh, it, it's the actionable, here's what I need. Now I might say no, but more likely if you've teed it up right, it's like, Yep. Sounds good. Sounds like you have it together. Perfect. Let's do it. You've said before something I love. You said, say no to everything. (laughs) That is my new mantra of life, actually. I do. I really like saying no. Um, uh, You know why? Because saying no is saying yes to other things, actually, especially now. I have four kids and I found that when I would say no to things or I'd say yes to things, that I was saying no to math help. I was saying no to stupid hangout time. I was saying no to sitting at the end of someone's bed and gossiping about their day, right? I was running out the door, so I wasn't around for those things that actually are very important. And so I think 
is I, I have found it really hard uh, because I think we all think of that yes as, oh, it's, maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's an opportunity. But really, very rarely is it an opportunity. In my experience, almost never an opportunity. That opportunities come a different way. So, you know, I really have just started saying no to everything. It's just, it's it's much better. And also saying no around chunks. So I get a lot of invites lately for stuff in September, right? It's kind of where we are in the calendar. But I know with four kids going back to school and we know school's going to be a disaster at some point. Right. Like my assistants, like we're saying anybody who asks you to do anything in October as in, in September and the first two weeks of October, we're saying no. We're just saying school's going to be crazy. So we're saying no to everything. You're welcome to reach back out if you want to. It's been so freeing. And a lot of those things aren't things that are personally, emotionally close to me. I think you can't say yes to everything. So I know now I'm available should something be a mess at school, which you know it's going to be. Now I'm free to actually pick up the slack on that versus, oh, I'd love to help you, but I'm doing this thing over here that I agreed to three months ago. Right. Last question for you. So all of our girls, uh, all of our students right now are in the process of the summer program. In the last week, they build something. And as you know, with BLM, climate change, all these things that are happening right now, there's a serious intensity around activism and around voice. Uh, and so I'm going to send you all the amazing things that our students are, are building. But if you could create one app, what would it do and what would you call it? Oh my gosh, I'm so bad at naming things, which is why no one in my office ever lets me name any of the shows we, we pitch. I think if you could come up with a way to help connect people to people who want to help them in some capacity, whether it's activism. So for example, I'm working on a project in, in Louisville, in really West Louisville, Kentucky. And there's so many people who need something, someone to come and fix their radiator. A lot of elderly people, especially in black neighborhoods where they, they don't have the um, equity in their home for a host of reasons, mostly redlining. They don't have the equity in their home, right? So they can't take out a $30,000 a home loan and fix up their home. And so their homes just kind of sag and sag and sag. And yet then I'll go and interview people and they'll be like, oh, I'd love to spend, I'd love to be helped. I'm like, okay, how do we connect these two people so that these people need some help and these people need volunteers and it's done in a very safe, uh, safe way. If there was a way to do that and also ways to easily sign up people, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. These people are willing to do X. These people need X. How do we connect them that they all can find each other, not with me in the middle, but they can just figure out how to find each other. I, I, that I saw in West Louisville, and I would really love to see that. People go into church, people who are stuck at home and need a ride to church, right? Shouldn't they be able to find each other in some capacity? Of course yeah. they should. So uh, yeah. what would I name it? I'd name it something terrible because I'm the worst namer ever. I'd name it, find it. <laughs> Hashtag find it. No, it's so bad. I know. No one never lets no, me No, but it's it. a great idea. It's a great idea. All right. Uh, for our students that are listening, let's send Soledad some great names. But this is a great app. And I think it's so important because, again, I think people want to help people. And I think humans are good. Also, where's voting? What do you yeah. need when you go vote? Who's going that direction? Who? I mean, there's a million ways in which people need help, and there are people who want to help. If someone said to me, honestly, if someone said, hey, Soledad, here's a list of three people in your neighborhood who need groceries, and here's their list, I'd be like, well, shoot, I'm going. Of course I'll right. get it. Like, yeah, Obviously, fine. right? And and if I just, if it was just easy, and they, you know, like that with the, the with names, and we'd all just say, yep, I got her. You know, and I'd go pick it up and I'd drop it off on her door and that woman wouldn't have to go shop because I would have gotten it for her 
because it worked into my day technologically. So that that would be what I'd like to do. Connect helpers and helpies. We are definitely going to build it. Soledad's app. Soledad's app. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You like literally nope. this chat box is just full of questions and full of people just sending you love and gratitude for being such a huge role model. I mean, you cannot be what you cannot see. And I cannot tell you how many young women look at you and now can imagine a career in truth telling in journalism because of you. So we are grateful and the community loves you and thank you. Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Nice to chat with you all. That was the incredible Soledad O'Brien. Thank you to all the students from our program who tuned in and for your thoughtful questions. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, I'm your executive producer, Oliver Ash Klein. Today's episode was also made possible by my co-producers, Tanya Zaparonik and Charlotte Stone. And of course, our fearless team leader, Deborah Singer. Andrea Jordan, Reshma Sajani, Olivia Quintana, Ashley Gramby, Gloria Noel, Aaron Page, Zenzele Skylark, Alisa Dwyer, and Raven Abreu also contributed to the making of this episode. See you in two weeks.